0: Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be uh, 3rd Nephi chapter 14, which is the same roughly as Matthew chapter 7. Verse 1, Now it came to pass that when Jesus had spoken these words, he turned again to the multitude. So the previous few verses in uh, at the end of 13 uh, was spoken mainly to the 12. Now he's coming back and speaking just to, the multi- or to everyone. And did open his mouth unto them again, saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Judge not that ye be not judged. Elder Oaks of the Quorum of the Twelve said, There are two kinds of judging, including final judgments, which we are forbidden to make, and intermediate judgments, which we are directed to make, but upon righteous principles. Latter-day Saints understand the final judgment as the time when all men will receive their personal dominions in the mansions prepared for them in various kingdoms of glory. I believe that the scriptural command to judge not refers most clearly to this final judgment. When the Lord warned against judging, he was counseling his people against condemning someone for his sins as well as against seeking to attribute motivation to a person when the observer cannot really know what is in that person's heart. That was by Mellon McConkie. Most of us think we see the world as it is, but I believe this is not the case. We each see not with the eye, but with the soul. Each person sees the world not as it is, but as he or she is. When he opens his mouth to describe what he sees, he is in effect describing himself. That is his perception. That was by Stephen R. Covey. Our acts are recorded and as at a future day, they will be laid before us. And if we should fall, if we should fail to judge right and injure our fellow beings, they may, they may there perhaps condemn us. that was Joseph Smith. Verse two, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Jeffrey R. Holland said, Remember that whatever you toss out mentally or verbally comes back to you according to to God's plan of compensation. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. A critical, petty, or vicious remark is simply an attack on our own self-worth. On the other hand, if our minds are constantly seeing good in others, that too will return, and we will truly feel good about ourselves. Verse 3, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? The mote, meaning a splinter or a small dry twig or stalk, here used to mean a lesser fault as contrasted with the beam. The Greek word means a stick or chip or straw. The beam uh, in that verse uh, is a roof beam, a piece of timber so large that it holds up the whole house here used to signify a grievous offense, and that was by Millet McConkey. Verse 4, Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Boyd K. Packer said, A teacher must be wise also in the use of his own spiritual experiences. I have come to believe that deep spiritual experiences are given to individuals for the most part for their own instruction and edification, and they are not ordinarily to be talked about. I heard one member of the first presidency say once, I do not tell all I know. I have not told my wife all I know. I have found that if I tell everything I know and explain every experience that I have had, the Lord will not trust me. There is also a scripture that says, Give not that which is holy to the dogs. Sacred personal experiences are to be related only on rare occasions. I made a rule for myself a number of years ago with reference to this subject. When someone relates a spiritual experience to me, personally or in a small intimate group, I make it a rigid rule not to talk about it thereafter. I assume that it was told to me in a moment of trust and confidence, and therefore I never talk about it. If, however, on some future occasion I hear that individual talk about it in public or in a large gathering, or where a number of people are present, then I know that it has been stated publicly, and I can feel free under the right circumstances to relate it. But I know many, many sacred and important things that have been related to me by others that I will not discuss unless I am privileged to do so under the rule stated above. I know that others of the brethren have done the same." Verse 7, ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. In English, this this scripture provides its own acronym. Notice ask, a, seek, s, k, knock, ask. The words uh, ask, seek, and knock spell out ask. Isn't that cool? I think it's cool. Verse 8, for everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you who, who, if his son ask bread, will give him a stone, or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, in other words, in our fallen condition, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? He seeks opportunities among his children to make known sacred things. God desires that we become as He is. He is not possessive of His status, of His standing. He seeks opportunities among His children to endow them with power from on high. If any of you lack wisdom, He said, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Nor is God's knowledge and power reserved for those called to lead the church. God hath not revealed anything to Joseph, but what he will make known unto the twelve. And even the least saint may know all things as fast as he is able to bear them. We have but to ask at the same time, bringing bringing our lives into harmony with the truths we already know. And that was by Millet and McConkie. Now, in in keeping with this uh, thing about uh, asking and that God gives us bread and fish, uh, just keep in mind that God always gives good gifts. Uh, That even though sometimes we may ask for a particular thing, he's going to give us what's going to be best for us. If we are willing to accept his will, knowing that uh, he never gives bad things, he's always going to give us good gifts. Uh, But we have to be humble enough to to realize that that he's always going to do things in our best interest. Verse 12, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule is treating others not only as we would be treated, but as the Father himself would treat them. If we assume that our desire always correspond to the desires of others, we have simply used a mechanical form of the golden rule to avoid empathy instead of using empathy as a necessary step in understanding others' special needs. Everyone has the deepest desire to be understood on his own level. Reaching out to envision another situation is the first step in applying the golden rule. This means giving serious attention and committed listening, thinking beyond your own sex, beyond your own age group, beyond your geographical area, beyond your family and social background, and even beyond your religious views. So Jesus asks you to treat others righteously before you can expect them to do the same. In other words, take the first responsibility and set the example for the way others should treat you. That was by Richard Lloyd Anderson. Verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leadeth to destruction. And many there be who go in thereat. Elder McConkie said the destruction of the soul consists in the inheritance of spiritual death in hell and not in the annihilation of the spirit. There is no such thing in all the economy of God as a soul or spirit ceasing to exist as such. Elder McConkie also said the course leading to eternal life is both straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, and straight, S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. It is straight, G-H-T, because it has an invariable direction. Always it is the same. There are no diversions, crooked paths, or tangents leading to the kingdom of God. It is straight, A-I-T, because it is narrow and restricted, a course where full obedience to the full law is required. Straightness, G-H-T, has reference to direction. Straightness, A-I-T, to width. The gate is straight, A-I-T. The path is both straight and straight. Do you get it? Uh, it's kind of confusing, isn't it? Um, hopefully I helped that help by spelling it maybe thus by entering in at the straight gate, AIT gate, which is repentance and baptism, meaning narrow, a person gets on the straight GHT and narrow path, which leads to eternal life. Uh, verse 14, because straight S-T-R-A-I-T is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. In the long run, we must ever keep in mind that our God and Father is a successful parent. When you look at this verse here where it says that there are few that, that find it, is that really an accurate statement? That there are really going to be few in the celestial kingdom to make it? One who will, He's a successful parent. One who will save far more of his children than he will lose. If these words seem startling at first, let us reason for a moment in comparison to the number of wicked souls at any given time. Perhaps the numbers of faithful followers seem small, but we must keep in mind how many of our spirit brothers and sisters, almost an infinite number, will be saved. What of the children who died before the age of accountability? Billions of little ones from the days of Adam to the time of the millennium. What of the billions of those who never had opportunity to hear the gospel message in mortality, but who afterwards received it? received the glad tidings, this because of a disposition which hungered and thirsted after righteousness. And, might we ask, what of the innumerable hosts who qualified for exaltation from Enoch's city, from Melchizedek's Salem, or from the golden era of the Nephites? What of the countless billions of those children to be born during the great millennial era, during a time when disease and death have no sting nor victory over mankind? This is that time when children shall grow up without sin unto salvation." Given the renewed and paradisiacal state of the earth, it may well be that more persons will live on the earth during the thousand years of our Lord's reign, persons who are of at least a terrestrial nature than the combined total of all who have lived during the previous 6,000 years of the earth's temporal continuance. Indeed, who can count the number of saved beings in eternity? Our God, who is triumphant in all battles against the forces of evil, will surely be victorious in the numbers of his children who will be saved. And that was by Melody McConkie. Verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Hugh Nibley said, The regular scriptural term to describe the leaders of all unauthorized congregations is false prophets. The fatal defect of such congregations is that they are led by false prophets, and we are told that these would abound in the earth, all claiming to be followers of Christ. What is a false prophet? He is one who usurps the prerogatives and the authority which by right belong only to a prophet of God. The false prophet need not claim to be a prophet. Indeed, most false prophets do not believe in prophecy or even in God, nor do they want anyone else to. We still live in a world of false prophets. Anyone whose work competes with God's work who makes claims on the time and energies of men which rightly belong to God, who puts the word of God in second place to the theories of men, or forces the teachings of true prophets to yield precedence to his own discourses, anyone, in a word, who puts his own knowledge above or on a level with revelation from heaven is a false prophet. Joseph Smith said, If any person should ask me if I were a prophet, I should not deny it, as that would give me the lie. For according to John, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Therefore, if I profess to be a witness or teacher and have not the spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus, I must be a false witness. But if I be a true teacher and witness, I must possess the spirit of prophecy, and that constitutes a prophet. And any man who says he is a teacher or a preacher of righteousness and denies the spirit of prophecy is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And by this key, false teachers and impostors may be detected." False prophets always arise to oppose the true prophets, and they will prophesy so very near the truth that they will deceive almost the very chosen. J. Reuben Clark said, The ravening wolves are amongst us from our own membership, and they more than any others are clothed in sheep's clothing because they wear the habiliments or the clothing of the priesthood. They are they who are distorting the truth, who should be careful of them. Elder Maxwell said, Following the brethren can be more difficult when in some settings wolves are sent among the flock. False prophets will arise, enticing some some to follow them, and by their evil works they deceive careless observers into discounting any and all who claim to be prophets. Satan's order of battle is such that, if it is necessary to encourage a hundred false prophets in order to obscure the validity of one true prophet, he will gladly do so. Verse 16, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. And a, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Elder M. Russell Ballard said, or catalogs some of the fruits which result from true discipleship the fruits of confidence security and community that come from belonging to a church that cares about its people enough to assign home teachers and visiting teachers to make regular monthly visits to every home to make sure that everyone who lives there is healthy happy and spiritually well the positive fruits that come from living balanced healthy lives with as much attention paid to spiritual growth and development as to physical, economic, and social concerns, and the corrective fruits of lives guided by traditional values of honesty, integrity, morality, sacrifice, and faithfulness. With these few examples, does it sound like I'm bragging? If so, please forgive me. We don't claim to have a corner on the the goodness market, nor would we pretend to profess that Latter-day Saints live lives free of worldly care and concern. But we honestly and sincerely feel that God has given us something special, something infinitely worth sharing. And that's why I ask you to consider the fruits that come from the lives of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For as the Savior himself said, "'Ye shall know them by their fruits.'" Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Nilda <clears throat> McConkie said, Nothing more than the testimony of Jesus is needed to make a person a prophet. And if this revealed knowledge has not been received, a person is not a prophet, no matter how many other talents or gifts he may have. But when a person has received revelation from the Spirit, certifying to the divinity of Christ, he is then in a position to press forward in righteousness and gain other revelations, including those which foretell future events. On this basis, should the necessity arise, those who are prophets are in a position where they could prophesy of all things. The mission of the prophets is not alone to foretell the future. Even more important is the witness they bear to the living of the divinity of Christ, the teachings they give of the plan of salvation, and the ordinances which they perform for their fellow man. All of the great prophets are possessors of the Melchizedek priesthood. As legal administrators, some have possessed keys enabling them to administer the fullness of gospel ordinances. The prophet Joseph Smith said, any man who says he is a teacher or preacher of righteousness and denies the spirit of prophecy is a liar and the truth is not in him. And by this key, false teachers and impostors may be detected. Verse 21, Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Elder McConkie said, these are the false ministers and those of the elders of Israel who are true ministers and prophets, who have been on missions for the church, for instance, who have healed the sick and performed great miracles, but who did not magnify their callings all their lives and thereby endure in righteousness to the end. John Taylor said, You say that means you say that means the outsiders. No it does not. Do they do many wonderful works in the name of Jesus? This means you, Latter-day Saints, who heal the sick, cast out devils that become careless, yet they think they are going into the kingdom of God. But I tell you, unless they are righteous and keep their covenants, they will never go there. Verse 23, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Notice in the JST, it's rendered, ye never knew me. Not just being active, but knowing Jesus. John Taylor said, I think that scripture is just as true today as it was 1800 years ago, just as binding as we shall find the results of it just as true. And when the secrets of all hearts are revealed, when the judgment is set and the books are opened, these things will be known and understood. How will it be then with Latter day Saints? Why those who are doing right and are full of integrity and have kept their covenants? observed the law of God and walked in obedience to his commands, will hear Jesus say, Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. And then there are some others mentioned. Who are they? And what are they? Why, many many will come to me and say, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then he will say to them, Depart from me, for I never knew you. How will that fit on some of us, do you think? That belongs a little closer to some of us than we imagine. For I do not think that Gentiles do much prophesying in the name of God. I do not think they cast out many devils in the name of God or do any wonderful works in his name. Jesus was speaking to a people that had done these things the same, perhaps as some of you have, and yet you have become careless and indifferent and in many instances have made shipwreck of a good conscience and failed to keep the covenants you have made. Again, the the phrase, ye never knew me so fully as to be sealed up unto eternal life with your callings and elections made sure. And since you did not magnify your callings in the priesthood, you shall be cast out and be as though I never knew you. And that's from Millet McConkie. Verse 24. Therefore, whoso heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon a rock. We're talking here about the rock of Revelation. Verse 25, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Keep the commandments, so as to be able to withstand the trials and tests that are ahead. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, who built his house upon the sand. I can tell what you guys are all thinking. You're thinking of the song right now, aren't you? And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. We must be following the living prophets. I bear testimony that these things are true. And as you hum along the song, um, keeping the the true foundation here, so that the rains don't beat upon us and cause us to fall. I bear testimony of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.